let us draw near. Biblical worship and the warming of the soul. New Testament worship and the 21st century church. This is part two. Last week we kind of began tracing the uh, trajectory of New Testament worship. And I said we were going to look at four passages. And we looked last week at the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. We started with that one because it is specifically a chapter about worship. Ten times in five verses the term worship is used. Ten times in five verses. And the first point we kind of zeroed in on was that worship has to do with with receiving living water. And Jesus, in trying to introduce this woman to living water, he does, he, does, he does two things. First, he exposes her sin. So, so living water follows, at some level, it follows repentance and it follows confession. She knows all about the Jewish regulations of worship. She's committed to them. But her life isn't transformed, and she's gummed up in her own sin. Then secondly, we studied this. Jesus shows this woman that the living water, worship in spirit and truth, and somehow that's tied to living water. Worship in spirit and in truth is tied to living water. I take that to mean that worship in spirit and truth, it it sort of trains the heart to see that only living water, only the presence of Jesus by his spirit, only that has the power to to end the um, tail-chasing pursuit of satisfaction in other things. That's our problem. We, We look for satisfaction in the wrong things, and the Holy Spirit wants to take spiritual truth and quench our thirst with it. So worship, worship, Jesus said, if you know me and what I want to give your heart, you won't be thirsty ever again. Worship ends that, we used to have a hamster when I was a kid and there was a wheel in the cage. You ever seen those? And he runs and runs, he's not going anywhere. And Jesus sees lives like that. Worship opens the heart to prizing what the mind knows. Oh, we sang it. Oh, come let us, the verb is adore, right? Not just come and learn, that's important. Come and know, that's important. Adore. God God gets no glory just from truth known. I get that from the idea that the demons know, James says. And tremble. So Jesus speaks to this woman and says, I want to do something in your heart that's thirst quenching. I want to do something in your heart that that brings delight. That causes you to prize what you see in me and my goodness. I want you to taste and see in a way that the demons never do. Though they have all the facts. That's where we ended. I'm going to look at three other New Testament passages. We might just do two. We'll see. As they relate to uh, New Testament worship in the 21st century church. So that was point number one. The woman at the well. Text number one. So this is two. 
Nothing takes the place of corporately waiting on God if we are to remain full of the Spirit. I won't take the time to read them. But if you looked at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 right through, you will see more than just an amazing demonstration of God's presence and power. You, you start to see the pattern, the corporate pattern that leads to those manifestations of dynamic from the Lord's hand. As Pentecostals, we're pretty good at emphasizing what happened to the church in Acts chapter 2. What we don't talk about quite as much is exactly how, how the early church waited together corporately in that upper room seeking God's face. Do you know how long they were praying? Do you know how long that prayer meeting went? Ten days. We try and do 30 minutes. It's too long for us, a lot of people, that they don't even come. Ten days. Ten days. Ten days praying, ten days kneeling, ten days pacing, ten days standing, ten days kneeling again, ten days fasting, ten days singing, ten days praying again, ten days crying out to God. What, what is the lesson here? Well, the lesson is most of us aren't instantly sensitive or instantly attentive to the Spirit of God. That's the lesson. Even when, like the early church, we have a clear promise from the Lord for provision and for empowerment and for blessing, even when it's clear there's no unwillingness on the heart of Father God, that's not where the problem lies, we still aren't instantly ready to receive what God desperately wants to give. That idea needs to be probed a little bit. My own opinion is I believe it explains much of the the frustration, dare I say it, the barrenness in the present church scene. I don't mean you know, just this church, I mean the church. Here's a lesson on receiving what God has promised. There's more to receiving from God than just expressing a casual wish. Okay, God. Do your thing. I'm here. Now, believe me, lest you get frightened. I know, there's, I know there's no need to just fruitlessly wear people out with empty repetition and forced times of trying to work up a revival. Our leadership talks about that kind of stuff a fair bit. But there's still another side to think about. There's still another side to think about. We also need, we also need enough time Enough time to have our distracted hearts kind of softened, to, to have our, our distracted minds drawn in by the Holy Spirit. We need enough time on our corporate knees. If I have any regret, I, I wish we still had carpet all over the place. I know this makes a lot more sense. I miss those times. Remember when we used to just all kneel in church? And now I, I, I get it. You, you feel like you're... Uh, you feel like you're kneeling on concrete. Yep. (laughs) 
we need enough time to get our minds properly wrapped around what we really should be thinking about. We, we need to get our minds around what we really should be asking God for. Jesus talked about your earthly fathers. You ask for bread, you're going to give them a stone? What, what if, but what if, what if someone's foolishly asking for what in effect is a stone? <laughs> Like, wh- where, does, where, where does the asking get focused and clarified? We need enough time to allow the Holy Spirit to purge sins out of our hearts that, that I won't even discover, let alone repent of, I won't even discover in 10 minutes at prayer. This creates a huge problem for us, and that's one uh, we don't easily diagnose. The, the, the problem is, we're all pretty busy, and the problem is we, we all feel we're being just a little bit inconvenienced when things take too long in a church service. Do you know why God allows you to sit through worship services that are really, really long? Have you ever asked yourself that? Do you know why God allows you to sit in church services that you think are way too long? He does it to teach you that your time is not your own. That's why he does it. He does it to teach you and me that our schedules are not the priority, that he's the priority. And that's awfully hard It's awfully hard for us to digest. We actually feel justified with our impatience when things don't just roll along efficiently enough for our fast-paced lives. We don't feel the least bit unrighteous when we're frustrated over the necessity of larger blocks of our time being spent before God's throne. There's something wrong with that. And while it's absolutely true, time shouldn't be wasted in worship, it's, it's also true that large amounts of time are required for our worldly selves to open up to God. That's because our souls don't open up the way a door swings on its hinges. Our souls open up the way a flower, when the sun comes, starts to open up. I'm amazed I'm amazed how this truth rarely registers in our Instagram (laughs) culture. There are some things you can't get quickly. There are some things we need patience with in our way. In your patience, possess your souls, Jesus said. This world isn't geared to patience. I can remember when um, I can remember years ago when I was just a kid living in Saskatoon when my dad would be upset about something with uh, some distant uh, offer or mail or something and he would get upset and would, get this, fire off a letter. Remember? Fire off a letter. Get the paper, (laughs) put it in the typewriter, write it out, 
no envelopes. Get an envelope, get a stamp, put the stamp on the envelope, walk to the mailbox, and then you think, you know, this isn't even worth it anymore. You don't, you don't need patience to do your banking anymore. You can do it online, right? You don't need patience to give to the church. You can, if you don't have a check, you can walk out to one of the things. You don't need patience. You want to watch something on TV? You don't have to. Remember when you had two channels and you waited till Thursday night at 8.30 because that's when your program came on. I don't want Thursday. I want it now. Get it. So, so everything, my point is, everything in our culture is geared to destroying patience. And here's the problem. Get this. We still grow up and we get married. And you know what you need to make a marriage work? Patience. Especially if you're a wife. <laughs> you need a lot of patience. You still, you want to build a prayer life, you still need patience. And there is nothing in our culture that trains us in patience anymore. All of this to say there's the time factor. The time factor. Blocks of time. Looking over my notes to see what I'm skipping. Okay, point number three. The Holy Spirit responds to people whose hearts are filled with intelligent praise and passionate thanksgiving. Acts 4, 23 to 31. When they were released, Peter and John from prison, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. So now we're on the, we're on the third text that we're going to be looking at, counting John 4 last week. They were released. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Don't you guys preach anymore? None of this anymore. We're done. No more about Jesus. And when they, this is the church, Peter and John come back, they report, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Bunch of fanatics, eh? Lifted their voices. And said, Sovereign Lord, but this isn't just people screaming, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, quote, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. I love this. Grant to your servants 
to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Look at that verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's what you want to see in a church. People empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as a result, speaking, speaking the word of God with boldness. Verse, verse 31 actually describes the result of some preceding events. I mean, it starts with Peter and John in prison. And there seems so little to celebrate then. But the church knew how to pray. And the church, like Judah's king, Jehoshaphat, remember we studied Jehoshaphat? Knew where the real battle was being fought. There were no petitions to sign. There were no Christian MPs to phone. So they did what all Christians everywhere all the time are supposed to do. They banded together. And they prayed. And they waited on God. They called upon the God of heaven. The Holy Spirit moved upon that whole church as Peter and John were delivered from prison. But, but look carefully at the steps that led to the outpouring of power from on high. A, the people related their deliverance to the promises of God's word. You get that in 25 through 27. who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, so there's David, said by the Holy Spirit, that's interesting, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, taking a stance against Christ, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed for Truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And so they take, here's what's happening, um, here's what's happening in their situation, right here, right there. And what they do is they take their present circumstances and they relate them to this. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord's anointed. Now that's out of the psalm. And so they're taking what's in God's word and they're relating it to the way they pray and what's going on in their circumstances. Just on the side, notice the apostolic view of their scriptures. So the words they were quoting, they came out of the mouth of David but they were factually the very words of the Holy Spirit. Love that. That's a special book you hold in your hand. And then notice this church is doing more than just throwing some kind of emotional release. This has almost nothing to do with that overworked term celebration. This has nothing to do with some glad-handed worship salesman just calling the people to jump up and down. 
The focus here is on the fulfillment of God's word. The fulfillment of God's word among them. It's a big part of what the text means when it says they spoke the word with boldness. So they were, they were praying not just with passionate hearts, but with minds full of God's word. And, and the way they... Let me just see if I can fix this for you. So the way they take this part here, that's from the psalm, and then they relate it to this part here, that's their circumstances. Can you follow that? That's what they do. They take the word... And they relate it to their, here's, here's, what, here's what David said, but he said it by the Spirit. And the same thing is going on in our circumstances. And you are not only God for David in the Psalms, you are our God in these circumstances under this pressure now. There's great power in that. So this is not just some emotional binge. This is people taking God at his word and applying it to their situation. Okay, B, they responded to what God had done when they saw his hand at work. It's in verse 24. And when they heard it, say those words underlined with me. They lifted their voices together to God. They lifted their voices together to God. This is, this is, High congregational praise. It's a, it's a shout of victory, as far as I know. This church wasn't affiliated with the Assemblies of God or the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. There were no denominations. Who told them to do this? The people automatically understood the, the appropriateness of praise and thanksgiving to God. They didn't just passively receive. They, they responded to God's grace and goodness with praise and thanksgiving. As far as it looks, there was no one telling them to do this. It wasn't like pulling teeth. That's volume. Lifted their voices to God. I'll tell you where they got that idea. This is a New Testament church. And what they would do is they would take a verse like this in their scriptures. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. See this verb? Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. That's where they got that idea. When you read this, maybe your background is is Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Baptist, Anglican. I don't know what it is. I'm just asking you honestly, when you read verses like that, do you see something expressed? You can't miss it. See, the church was edified together, and their confident faith overflowed to those outside. I get that in 24 to 31. 24 and 31, two verses. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made heaven and the earth 
and the sea and everything in them. That's how it starts. 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Who taught these people to share their faith? Like what class did they attend? What evangelism course? What seminar? Well, they didn't, they didn't take any course. They hadn't read a book. We do both those things, by the way, in our church, lots of times, and it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but that, I'm saying that's not what happened here. What happened here was these people had seen Jesus work. That's what happened. They had their circumstances changed. The place where they were worshiping had been shaken and stirred as they prayed, and they were full of the Holy Spirit. They were, they were more excited about the Lord. Remember living water, the woman at the well? Living water. You won't thirst anymore. This is thirst quenching. Oh, come let us adore him. These people, these people were thrilled with what they had seen in the word and how God had fulfilled it in their church. How hard is it to share the best news you know? How can I paint the picture? Imagine having a, imagine having a young child with cancer. And suddenly after months and months and months of hospital appointments and treatments, you, you, you wake up one morning weary with it all and you, you notice your little girl looks completely different and you check it out and all of a sudden you find out after everything that this precious little child is, is completely well I mean 100% normal healthy perfect in every way here's my question do you need someone to tell you to call your family and friends about that? Do you? You're, you're thrilled. <laughs> this is great. And you can't help but share. Your, your joy is multiplied in the sharing. Church, as much as any seminar you will ever attend, and they're fine to attend, but evangelism, evangelism is born in prayer and worship. And no amount of expertise will substitute for those things. Biblical worship, praise, the, the thirst-quenching presence of Christ by His Spirit is intricately linked with effective witness and evangelism. Four. Last point. People must come to worship with hearts prepared for participation and involvement. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Often really misunderstood verses but an important verse nonetheless. 1 Corinthians 14, 20, 
6. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, that all things be done for building up. See this? When you come together. There's a, there's a togetherness in worship. Worship cannot survive. I'm amazed at how many Christians don't get it. The life of worship can't survive without togetherness with the body of Christ. You don't need less of it. You need more of it. Contrary to what most people think, these verses don't describe just some kind of a wingy, charismatic, free-for-all. I mean, everything has to be done still for edification, Paul says. There's a right way and a wrong way. Even with involvement, there still has to be teaching and order. But, but it's also wrong to, to shut my mind to the fact that the Holy Spirit wants me involved in a deeper way than just going to church. Let me, let me ask you this. Did you think this morning about what God might want to do in and through your life in this church service? Or did you just come? I mean, I'm glad you came. Beyond mere attendance, what did you pray about for God's plan for your life December 2nd, 2018? Will you think about next Sunday, December 9th, maybe starting Thursday afternoon or Friday? Saturday night? Or are you going to just watch Netflix till it's late and go to church and hope Jesus can rinse all that stuff out of your brain? What role does preparation play in your Sunday worship experience? Do, do you come into the sanctuary already having analyzed the present state of your spiritual health? Do you know what your real needs are when you come to church? Have you a clear idea of what God thinks your real needs are? How open are you to growing in expression of praise and worship? Are you just kind of locked in? This is, uh, this is the church I grew up in. They were like this, and that's just how I do it. How aware are you of the nature of your spiritual gifting and what you should be doing with it? How about God's plan to deepen your growth in covetousness destroying giving to his kingdom you, you can't pray covetousness out of your heart you give covetousness out of your heart or have you considered which people maybe need your touch and your prayer and your encouragement what are their names is there some testimony some experience you need to share Maybe those very questions just kind of scare you, or worse, perhaps you've never even considered them. But one thing is for certain, most of the growth you and I need in those areas is not going to happen at the last minute without us considering it. Did you grow your business that way? Let's just get up and see what happens. You won't grow your soul that way. So let's stay open to the Holy Spirit. 
for a lot of people, for a lot of people, a huge step is just learning. A huge step is just learning not to be afraid of the working of the Spirit. Because because y- you see stuff, you see stuff on TV, you hear horror stories from some church, some place, and I'm 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 the first one to agree with you that there's there's uh, you know the first church of the wacky. It, it's all over the place. Having said that, that is no more dangerous to your soul than locking yourself into just a rigidity. That I'm just scared, Pastor. I don't want God doing anything to muck up my life. They waited together and they prayed together and they stayed in God's presence. They took God's word, the promises of God's word, and they related it to their similar circumstances because they recognized it's a living word. It's an active word. They trace God's work. They respond in praise and worship and adoration. And people saw these people treasured Christ more than anything else. They saw these people had living water like the woman at the well. And that drew other people into that fellowship. You don't have to beat me. You don't have to club me. I see people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, I, I want in. I want in. And that's how God grows his church. Let's pray together.